This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Today's episode is brought to you by Empower. It doesn't matter how much money you have, we all have money questions. Empower is here to answer those questions so you don't have to worry. Take control of your financial future with a real-time dashboard and real live conversations to empower what's next. Start today at Empower.com. Listener supported WNYC Studios. Hey, Lulu here. Whether we are romping through science, music, politics, technology, or feelings, we seek to leave you seeing the world anew. Radiolab adventures right on the edge of what we think we know, wherever you get podcasts. This is the New Yorker Radio Hour co-production of WNYC Studios and The New Yorker. This is The New Yorker Radio Hour. I'm David Remnick. We take it for granted today that entertainers can and maybe should speak out for the causes they believe in, political and otherwise. That certainly wasn't the case in the past, but there was a great pioneer in this, the artist-activist Harry Belafonte, and he just died at the age of 96. One of the great entertainers of his era, Belafonte had a long string of hits. The Banana Boat song, Jump in the Line, Jamaica Farewell. Down the way where the nights are gay and the sun shines daily on the mountain top. I took a trip on a sailing ship and when I reached Jamaica, I made a stop. But I'm sad to say... As well as a career as a leading man in the movies. But at the same time, Belafonte was a key figure in the civil rights movement a friend and confidant of Martin Luther King Jr. And a generation later, he worked with Nelson Mandela to help bring down apartheid. In 2016, the New Yorker's Jelani Cobb went to pay him a visit at his office in Midtown Manhattan. At the age of 90, Belafonte was still at work with his team, planning the details of an upcoming festival. So Mr. Belafonte's office is uh, like an archive Hey, how are you? You know, when you walk in, there are his gold records that are on the wall, and then there are uh, posters from some of his films, and you kind of walk through his biography by looking at what's on the walls. When we got there, we we talked for a moment with his daughter. She's really heavily involved in working out the logistical details for the festival. Now it's just a matter of, uh, you know, pushing our ticket sales and and having bodies on the ground. We were waiting uh, for uh, Mr. Belafonte to arrive, and some people walk into a room and some people make an entrance. Let me rush through this verbiage and just express my (laughs) regrets. And at 89 years old, Harry Belafonte still makes an entrance. Uh, I'd jokingly told him that a uh, friend of mine, when I mentioned that I was going to be talking to him, I asked her if there's anything that I should ask him for her. And she said, yes, ask him if I can have his phone number. And this is someone who was in her 30s. (laughs) Um, 
he you know walks with a cane and he's uh, thinner than he has been or you know in earlier points of his life um but there's still something really very uh dignified about him sir it's good to see you i got to tell you something i have discovered it's nice to see anybody <laughs> you know with belafonte it's it's like picking up an encyclopedia and flipping through the pages there's so much information there uh, and there's so much lived experience like the fact that he owned a burger joint in the village at some point in his career when he was convinced that he wouldn't make it as an actor. Yeah. Didn't own it long because he went bankrupt. I didn't charge enough for the hamburgers. <laughs> and most of the people who came to eat in the restaurant were all my friends, acting students, who also broke and didn't and said, I'll pay you when I get uh, from my next gig. Well, I got a drawer full of next gigs, no money. When you talk to him, he kind of grounds uh, his sense of identity and everything he is. And being the child of two very hardworking but nonetheless disadvantaged uh, West Indian immigrants. As a young person watching my mother go through the dignities of poverty, she came home too often broken, a broken person. Mm -hmm. She stood in line uh, down onto the L on 3rd Avenue to get day work. And this is in Harlem? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, something you said that was really interesting, I thought, which is that you said you people think of you as an, an artist who became an activist, but you think of yourself as an activist who became an artist. Yes, that's exactly correct. Mm-hmm. Uh, when people say, when did, you be, well, when did you become an activist? I just said, well, I don't know how you can ask Citizens of color who are born into poverty, mm-hmm. when did you become an activist? Mm-hmm. You really become an activist the day you're born because your whole lust and thrust and effort is to get out of poverty, and that requires a lot of work. One of the more notable things, I think, uh, was the story he told about going to Mississippi with Sidney Poitier to bring $100,000 to uh civil rights activists there. Uh, you know, Sidney Poitier is, of course, the great African-American actor and uh, Harry Belafonte's oldest friend. I called Sidney Poitier, which I'd been in the habit of doing, for us to go for fun and games. Mm-hmm. So he thought this was that kind of call. <laughs> so when I called him, he said, and I said, I got to go down to Greenwood, Mississippi. And there was this long pause. <laughs> Belafonte, what are you going to Greenwood, Mississippi for? And I spelt it out. And so, (laughs) on the face of it, it sounds absurd. These are two of the most recognizable figures in Hollywood, in American culture at this point. And they are trying to organize a clandestine trip to Mississippi to funnel money to a civil rights organization that can't get it any other way. When we got to Greenwood... It was one of the darkest nights I'd have ever remembered mm-hmm. seeing. No electricity at all in this little dirt airport. And just at that moment, in a circle mm-hmm. around the airfield, these lights went up. And in the distance, there were cars. And I was with a guy named Willie Blue. I had said to Sydney, I think those are the feds. And Willie Blue said, feds my ass. That's the Klan. Wow. And I looked at Sydney. And he was not very, he was not, he was not in a humorous mood. 
it's just really a kind of amazing story and kind of the dynamics between the two of them and driving around in the middle of the night and being concerned that the Klan is going to come get them. And uh, it's funny, but it's also poignant. And uh, at 89 years old, it's very easy to just uh, talk about life in the past tense. Uh, but I think the other reason why I wanted to talk to uh, Mr. Belafonte was the fact that he uh, is so deeply enmeshed in things that are contemporary and current. He's not talking about things that happened in 1966 except as a means of shedding light on what happens in 2016. Have you been um, surprised or um, dismayed by anything that's happened in our current politics that makes this moment particularly important? Yes. What really stuns me is the absence of black presence in the face of the kind of animus that's being heaped upon us mm -hmm. to gerrymandered voting districts to change the voting zones to close down uh, privileges that are given to workers mm -hmm. who Sundays and weekends to be able to vote this uh -huh. onslaught is all about race mm -hmm. and there is no real substantial uh, voice coming out of the black movement our organizations are fallow uh, where is SNCC? Where is SCLC, uh, the NAACP? It is the absence of black consciousness and a black response to these things that I think that has ennobled people, like uh, emb emboldened them, like... Uh, uh, well, Black Lives Matter, I presume. Well, Black Lives Matter is something we created. Mm -hmm. But I'm thinking the Donald Trumps of the world. Uh -huh. Where's the black voice? Mm -hmm. Where's the black Congress? Where are the committees? Not individuals, but where's the collective? We don't have a labor movement like we had when we did the March on Washington because labor movement, by and large, belly upped. There is no labor movement in this country. There's a labor struggle but there's no labor movement. Mm. We have no peace movement. What do, what do you see the difference between those two things, the labor struggle and the labor movement? A movement, I think, uh, is an organized body with purpose, mm -hmm. with declared targets, with clarity of philosophy, with an ideology. A struggle is when somebody slaps you and you try to mm. cover yourself from the blow. Mm. There is no underbelly. There is no grit. There's no challenge. And we certainly don't have the political leadership. It's not in the White House. It's not in the Congress. I kind of welcome this. Mr. Belafonte was trying to orient himself, I think, in time and in a kind of activist space. He began talking about what he saw as the failures of organizations that were led by his contemporaries and that they left a void that had to be filled by other groups. And I think he was implying that the rise of things like Black Lives Matter was as a result of, you know, I think it's probably not too harsh to say, other people dropping the baton. There is no voice that stands strong in leading some mighty response, some righteous response to what's going on. I think it's important to recognize also the reverence that uh, a lot of younger people have with uh, for Belafonte. Um you know, John Legend certainly is is one of those people, and then 
various voices and, and elements of Black Lives Matter that have been in dialogue with him. And there is a cadre of younger artistic and activist um, people who uh, see in Belafonte kind of a mentor figure, kind of one of the last vital links to the civil rights movement that much of this work is still inspired by. Uh, and I'm not sure there's anyone else who quite occupies that niche. When I listen to young people like Jesse Williams, when I listen to uh, John Legend step in and speak out, I feel rewarded uh, that uh, somewhere along the line, uh, these are the dividends for what we invested all my colleagues who are now dead and gone, because uh, I I now understand that I'm officially at the end. I don't want to do it anymore. It was jarring to see him talk about the fact that we all have a finite amount of time here, and he's thinking very much about what it is that he's done. I am going to spend the rest of my days, perhaps being more radical than I ever thought I would ever be, mm-hmm. saying things that are more radical, because uh, I no longer want to lead anything mm-hmm. or be part. I just want to say the truth and what it is. Uh, there's a lot of stuff to be said. Uh, where I go with it, I don't know, but I'll be knocking at your door. <laughs> I'm always eager to talk to you, Mr. Belafonte. My heart is down, my head is turning around. I had to leave a little girl in Kingston town. The late Harry Belafonte. He spoke with The New Yorker's Jelani Cobb in 2016. That's the Radio Hour for today. See you next time. Sounds of laughter everywhere and the dancing girls swing to and fro. The New Yorker Radio Hour is a co-production of WNYC Studios and The New Yorker. Our theme music was composed and performed by Meryl Garbes of Tune Yards. The New Yorker Radio Hour is supported in part by the Chirina Endowment Fund. My heart is down, my head is turning around. I had to leave a little girl in Kingston town. This episode was brought to you by Empower. Are you ready for life's important milestones? What will your retirement look like? Do you know your net worth? Empower can help answer your money questions so you don't have to worry. With a real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you can get clarity on your real-life financial goals. Join 18 million Americans and take control of your financial future to empower what's next. Start today at empower.com.